Amen. Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary to China, when he first went to China, he went on a sailing vessel. And they were very close to the shores of an island where cannibals were. And the ship, because there was no wind, was slowly drifting towards the island's shores. And the cannibals were eagerly awaiting their feast. The captain came to Mr. Taylor and asked him to pray to God for help. But Taylor said, I will pray, provided you do one thing. You unfurl your sails that they will catch the breeze. And the, the captain said, if I do that, I will be a laughingstock among my men to let the sails down with no breeze. And Taylor said, then I will make no prayers on your behalf. So the captain agreed. And while engaged in prayer, after several hours, there was a knock on the door. Who is there? Hudson Taylor asked. And the captain's voice responded, Hudson, are you still praying for wind? Yes. Well, said the captain, you had better stop. We have more wind than we can manage. It's an appropriate illustration for our text today. Because there is a man who was healed, but his heart was prepared long before the healing came. Just as this ship had to be prepared for the wind when it came, our hearts must be prepared for the truth that we hear, and we must have faith. We must have faith. We're going to look at a very powerful healing this morning. As Jesus is approaching Jericho, this is the last major stop on his journey to Jerusalem. Jerusalem and Jericho were separated by about 15 miles. He is close to Jerusalem. His hour is approaching and is now near We are within two weeks' time of the cross. And with the cross looming, Jesus does not abandon his messianic ministry of healing. We know that the cross was heavy on his mind, but he does not forsake those in need. He does not walk by, callous to the needs around him. Now, I will say this. This is the last miracle that Jesus performs until he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he heals the ear that has been sliced off by Peter of the guard. So this is the last miracle you have recorded in any gospel before Jesus gets to Jerusalem. And even during Holy Week, none of the gospel authors record any miracle of Jesus during the Holy Week. And I found that to be rather odd. But the emphasis is on the climactic push of the Pharisees to kill Jesus and Jesus raising the stakes Believe in me or perish. And so I want to, first of all, look at the context here as we get to the text. In verses 35 through 37. Then it happened, as Jesus was coming near to Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. So you see the context here is Jesus is moving into the city of Jericho. There were two cities of Jericho. There was the old city that Joshua went in and and conquered when the walls fell down. And then there was the new city, which is where Jesus was looking to enter. Now, where they were along these roads, we're not exactly sure, but Jesus is not yet into the city. He is close. 
but he's not yet into the city. And he is going north, from, coming from the north towards Jerusalem, and it was outside of this city that a blind man sat begging. Common, common occurrence. We learn in Matthew chapter 20 that there are actually two blind men who are begging. And in Mark, we learn in chapter 10 that this man's name is Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. That the fact that Mark records his name is significant, as I will reveal later on. Begging is normal for those who had infirmities, blindness, deafness, missing limbs. You had no opportunity to work. You couldn't speak. You were left to the mercy of those around you. This man, Bartimaeus, being blind is a major problem. Now, you and I are familiar with what we would call first world problems. First world problems are things like slow internet or a dying cell phone battery or the one that just drives me insane is the lost television remote. But we're not talking about that kind of a problem. We're talking about a problem that has kept this man from living a life of any kind of blessing and happiness and joy for much of his life. Now, we're not told that he was born blind. We are simply told that he is blind. In fact, Jesus' words to this man later on to regain your sight suggests that he at one point had his sight. But we do not know. The problem is still the same. He is a burden to society. Apart from a miracle, he will die an early death, likely from malnutrition. He's desperate. This man then hears a multitude of people passing by. This must be common at the time because Passover is coming into Jerusalem. And so crowds are coming, but this crowd is of large size. We were in Cranax this past week, and, and there were many of us in my family. And everywhere we went, you know, if, if you got separated from the group, all you had to do was listen for certain children in our group, and you could find your way back. There were groups in Cranax, but none like ours. See, there were groups on the road, but none like this. Because this is the crowd with whom Jesus traveled. And it was loud, and it was noisy, and there was excitement. And this man wanted to know what the commotion meant. What is going on? He knew the Passover was fast approaching, and he had heard crowds, but none like this. And so the people around him, likely the people in front of the crowd who were getting the people out of the way, said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And when Bartimaeus hears this, he recognizes the name. He's obviously heard of Jesus and his miracles, and he believes that Jesus can give him sight. Before we get to the next section, I want, I want to take a moment here and, and just land on this name, Jesus of Nazareth, for just a moment. I mentioned two weeks ago during our Christmas sermon in Micah chapter 5 that Jesus could have been known, and in our thought, he should have been known as Jesus of Bethlehem. But he wasn't known as Jesus of Bethlehem. He was known as Jesus of Nazareth. Well, why is that? Well, Matthew 2.23 says that he, meaning Jesus, came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. Now, he is young. He's coming back from Egypt. 
that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, I took some time and I looked for that prophecy, he shall be called a Nazarene, and I could not find one. Other men who have spent far more time studying the prophets, they say that this prophecy specifically is not there. So what's Matthew talking about? Well, I want you to see that there is a reason that Matthew uses this title. There are some guesses, and there are some that are better than others. Some say this is reference to the verbal prophecies not recorded in Scripture. That's dangerous. We have to be careful. Be careful. I, I don't buy that. If, if this is an important portion of Scripture that has been fulfilled, God is always careful to mark it here and show you where it is. Others claim that it's the word for branch in Isaiah 11.1, 1, that from Jesse, the root of Jesse, there will be a branch possible, but I think that's a bit of a stretch. I believe the answer is that Matthew uses the word <clears throat> Nazarene because of what the word Nazarene connotation carried in the first century Israel. If you look at John chapter 1, even Nathaniel says, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth was a negative. If you called someone a Nazarene, you were not giving them a compliment. It is along the lines of a Corinthian woman, not a compliment. And so we see that this is associated with something that is despised, detestable, rejected. And that would be a fulfillment of prophecy in Psalm 22, 6 through 8, Isaiah 49, 7, and Isaiah 53, 3. Do not miss the importance of the names and the titles given to Jesus in the Bible. They're all important. See, Jesus was pursued by many and received by but a few. Even in our day and age, many people want to talk about Jesus and say, I have no problem with Jesus. I have a problem with the church. Well, if you have a pro- Listen, if you have a problem... And you say, Pastor, I have no problem with you, but I don't like Maddie. You've offended me. You cannot say, Jesus, I like you, but your bride I can't stand, and not offend the groom. You see, we have to recognize that when people are saying, oh, I'm okay with Jesus, but I don't want anything that he tells me to do, you have a problem with Jesus. Many people will pursue him until he tells them he must do something they don't want to do. And then he, they walk away. In John chapter 6, a large group of people, several thousand people were following him because he fed them. And he turns and he says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Meaning you must do everything I tell you to do and be a part of me and reject all the things of the world and pursue only me. And people go, this is a hard teaching. Jesus wasn't teaching cannibalism. They knew that. They were smarter than that. But they knew, I can't go back to my old life. I like my old life. It's comfortable. I don't want to give it up. Few received him. We have to understand this to grasp the importance of this narrative and how great 
of a message it has. And so we've seen the context. Now look at the cry of Bartimaeus in verses 38 and 39. And he, meaning Bartimaeus, cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before him warned, warned him that he should be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Upon hearing that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, the man springs into action. And he begins by crying out. Now you and I hear the words crying out, and we think, well, he starts hollering. And that's what he did, but the Greek word for cried out means to shout with an unbelievable loud volume. Now, um, you ever been around someone who's just so loud you can't stand it? On more than one occasion, I have accused my daughter Vanessa of being the loudest human being on the planet. Do not let her shyness fool you. She has her own level on the decibel meter, I promise you. That's what's happening here. Bartimaeus is screaming at the top of his lungs, and those around him, oh, what in the world? Stop it. He's just shouting at the top of his lungs. He is a desperate man. Now let's break down his cry of Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He addresses Jesus by his name as he was known. But he goes further. Having heard the stories of the miracles and the teachings of Jesus, Bartimaeus is convinced Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah prophesied by God. And therefore he invokes his full title, son of David. By doing this, he is confessing that he believes Jesus is the Son of God. And then he confesses his need that God would have mercy on him, that he would show him kindness and concern for his serious need. This man has no doubt seen countless doctors, been given countless opinions. He's tried all of the oils, all the serums. He's gone to the ointments. He's, gone, he's been prayed over. And he's offered many prayers of his own for healing. All to no avail. And so he confesses his need to the one whom he believes can solve his problem. Every one of us has problems. 2022 is going to be a year filled with all kinds of problems. It's likely that you have taken the same route as Bartimaeus and your problems in 2021. You've gone to doctors and you've taken up the creams and the ointments and the serums. You've gone to the gurus. You've looked on Google and you've tried to self-medicate. You've gone to this fix or that one. Nothing's changed, perhaps. Or if it did, hey, praise the Lord, you're healed. But if it didn't, what do you do when it doesn't work? Now, I'm not going to ever give you a message that says, just have more faith and you'll be better. Because sometimes you don't get better. Sometimes God gives you, as he gave Paul, a thorn in his flesh that he never takes away. But I will give you this message. Where you take those problems makes all the difference. Where you take those problems makes all the difference. See, Bartimaeus took his problem to Jesus. Where you take yours? Your doctor... He can only do so much. The great physician, he can do all that we ask him, but he will do what is right and best for us. No, Jesus may not fix your body. In fact, we know our bodies are going to break down. 
But when you go to Jesus with your problems, what you find is hope. You find hope. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the disappointment, you find hope. And so as Bartimaeus is screaming at the top of his lungs, there are those around him, they are annoyed. The people who are clearing the way for the crowd to come through, they warn him. That word warn means a command with a veiled threat. Bartimaeus, shut it or else. The same idea, by the way, the disciples give to the women who bring their little babies to see Jesus when they rebuke the women. Same idea. See, these people around Bartimaeus are mortified that this smelly, dirty, blind man is drawing this much attention to himself. Who does that? Who screams at the top of their lungs at a rabbi? Well, desperate people do that. Desperate people do that. So the people are shushing him, but it has the exact opposite effect. And so Luke says, he cries out all the more. He gets louder. He goes to a level he didn't even know he had. See, he has to get Jesus' attention. He has to get his voice above the shushing in the crowd. He has to be the one voice Jesus hears. His motivation was something like this. I know if I can get Jesus to me or I can get to Jesus, he may have mercy on me, and I may regain my sight. Kent Hughes said, spiritual blessings do not go to the half-hearted, but to those who want them above all else. Helpless as he was, the blind man went for it, and God heard him. John MacArthur says, by addressing Jesus as a son of David, Bartimaeus was affirming his faith in him as Israel's Messiah. His plea, have mercy on me, acknowledges he had no merit. He knew salvation depended completely upon God. Bartimaeus could not see. But listen very clearly. He had more faith than most people who saw Jesus' greatest miracles with their own eyes. Most people saw and didn't believe. Bartimaeus doesn't have to see anything. He just has to hear, and he believes. Ken Hughes says, there's only one thing worse than blindness, and that's not knowing you are blind. It is a grace to see the reality of our sin, even when it is unpleasant or grotesque. When we see what we are in darkness, that's when we begin to ask for the light. So we have seen the context in the cry. Now we see Jesus' concern for this man in verses 40 and 41. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. The concern for Jesus is evident here. He stops. He makes the whole crowd stop. And he calls for Bartimaeus. Now, this fickle crowd who has been saying, shut it or else, now all of a sudden Mark says, hey, be of good cheer. He's calling for you. Go. And the hypocrisy is just amazing here, but Bartimaeus doesn't care. Mark tells us that he drops his cloak. A blind man would never do such a thing. To drop his cloak and to move means a blind man could never find it again. But he's running to Jesus 
When he gets to Jesus, he has asked the important question, what do you want me to do for you? That word want simply means what's your desire? What's your wish? Now, Jesus, come on. He's blind. What kind of a question is that? How silly. But the reality is Jesus is not being rude. He is not disrespecting Bartimaeus. He's not being unkind. And he's not attempting to make the man jump through unnecessary hoops. When you understand what Jesus is doing here, he's doing something that most people would never do to Bartimaeus. He's respecting him and treating him with dignity. He's asking for mercy. Jesus heard that plea. And here's what he's asking Bartimaeus. You ask for mercy. What does mercy look like? What does mercy look like? See, he's also asking, do you want a handout? Or do you want something greater? John Phillips says, the Lord wanted to hear this man's request to be voiced. Was he just begging? No, not him. He wanted to be saved. He wanted to see. See, the reality is, Jesus is doing for Bartimaeus what God does for us every day. When we go to the Lord in prayer, does he not know what we need? Does he not know what we are going to ask for? And yet he calls us to come before the throne of grace boldly and make our requests known. God wants to hear from you. Jesus wanted to hear from Bartimaeus. Put your request in words. So he addresses Jesus as Lord, which is common in that day for for just the word sir. But we have to recognize the word Lord here means far more than sir. Because of Bartimaeus using that messianic title, son of David, he's not calling Jesus sir, he's calling him Master, Lord, God. That's what he's calling Jesus here. Now I want to stop for just a moment and focus on something that can easily get lost in this narrative. We just plow ahead and jump through. Bartimaeus did not make Jesus Lord. You sometimes hear people say when they're talking about repentance of salvation, you need to make Jesus Lord of your life. Bartimaeus doesn't do that, and Jesus doesn't ask him to do that. What does Bartimaeus do? He recognizes Christ's lordship. That's all he does. He recognizes that Jesus is Lord, and he submits to it. And that's the point I want to make here, and that's the point, by the way, God makes all the way through the Bible. Some references here for you, uh, just a few, and this is just a a sampling. 1 Peter 3.15 Luke 2.11, Romans 10.9, Philippians 2.9-11, 1 Corinthians 8.6, and Revelation 17.14 all call us to recognize Jesus as Lord. See, Jesus is secure in who he is. He doesn't need you to tell him who he is. He doesn't need your help to make him Lord. He's Lord. What he expects... What he demands is you recognize his lordship, you see your need, and you submit to him. 
That's what he expects. That's what he demands. You rely upon him in simple faith and childlike trust to be saved. So we have seen the context, the cry, and the concern. Now we look at the confidence of Bartimaeus. And this is incredible what happens here in verses 42 and 43. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, glorifying God and all the people. When they saw it, they gave praise to God. The confidence of Bartimaeus is incredible. He had all the reasons to be bitter and angry, depressed. He had all the reasons to despair and to grow weak and to complain. But he had confidence. Upon hearing Bartimaeus' request, Jesus responds with one Greek word. That's translated into the English in three, receive your sight. The reason for Jesus granting this request is because of the man's faith. Now listen, it is his faith that made him well. It wasn't his shouting or his blindness or his perseverance. It was his faith. That's what made him well. The, faith, the phrase, faith has made you well, means a complete trust and reliance upon God is what brought healing. Notice the order. Faith first, then healing. That is the common theme all throughout the book of Luke. That a miracle never produces faith. If a miracle produced faith, then everyone on earth after Christ rose from the dead would believe. Miracles don't produce faith. Miracles simply unlock the faith that was already there. They reveal it. And so you see this all throughout the book of Luke. Jesus declared to the woman who anointed his feet with oil in the Pharisee's home. In Luke 7.50, he tells her, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. To the woman who was healed of a flow of blood, he said in Luke 8.48, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, immediately following that, when Jairus' daughter has been said that she's dead, Jesus goes to him in Luke 8.50, don't be afraid and believe. And she will be made well. Believe in what? Believe in Jesus. And Jesus gets to the house, and that's exactly what happens. Most recently, we saw Jesus said the same words to the Samaritan leper, after he healed him and he was cleansed in Luke 17, 19, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. What's this tell us? Signs and wonders don't create faith in anyone. We've got a lot of people looking for signs and wonders right now. They're looking for all, all kinds of different, different issues. If this happens, then I'll believe. See, those who were healed, they approached Jesus... Because they already believed. Why would you go somewhere you don't believe in to get something you don't think they can give you? And that's exactly what happens with Bartimaeus. How about you? Where's your faith? Is your faith in the creator? Or is it in the the creation? Do you look to all of the medical, to all of the psychological, to all the emotional, to the horizontal relationships, to give you what only God can. 
Where's your faith? Maybe your faith is in yourself. That's a terrifying thought. I have faith in myself that I can do this. You do realize you can't wake yourself up in the morning, right? You, you do realize that you need rest and you can only do so much in a day. You do realize that you can't heal yourself. Have faith in yourself is foolishness. But such are the thoughts of many in our world. They have no faith in God, and so they don't run to Him. And so I plead with you. I, I can't deal with those out there. But here, I plead with you. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, the great physician, the one who gives peace, the one who heals broken relationships, the one who is the helper to those who need help. It's important that we see the man receives his request immediately. There's no delay. Jesus says, receive your sight. His eyes are opened at once. The man's eyes obeyed the words of the Lord as quickly as light obeyed the words of God at let there be light. The man received the answer to his request, but his response is incredible. Immediately, he received his sight. He doesn't say anything, but he follows Jesus. Now, we know from Luke's account what it means to follow Jesus. This is in the shadow of the rich young ruler. And so Luke has here the rich young ruler who will not follow Jesus, who has everything. And Bartimaeus, who has nothing, he follows. See, Bartimaeus left everything and followed Jesus. Now, what did Bartimaeus have, you may say? He had nothing. It's not true anymore. Bartimaeus now had hopes. Hopes for a job. Hope for a new life. Hope for a life that would not be in rags. For a potential for a family. Bartimaeus left it all behind to follow Jesus. This shows his commitment, shows his belief, it shows his gratitude, and it shows his great faith. David Garland points out that Jesus does not ask Bartimaeus to follow him as he does the rich young ruler in Luke 18.22. But his voluntarily following Jesus illustrates that those with nothing are ready to follow. He has no worldly attachments to encumber him and to hold him back. Kent Hughes says, now this is where it's important that you recognize Mark keeping Bartimaeus' name because scholars say that Mark's gospel preserves Bartimaeus' name because he became a stalwart in the Jerusalem church. He followed Jesus into Jerusalem. He was part of the company of Jesus in the triumphal entry. He was there at the horror of the crucifixion. But he also witnessed the joy of the resurrection. Ken Hughes says, what an eyeful for a blind man. No longer blind. Along with following Jesus, he was glorifying God in worship. And the word glorifying means to honor by giving praise. And as is often the case, everyone around is also praised. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, most people are just going, that's really cool. What else has he got? 
Unfortunately, that's as deep as they go. But some were really glorifying God. It's a constant theme of Luke to show how people are amazed at what Jesus does. Early in the gospel, in Luke chapter 5, where Jesus heals the lame man, the, the, quadra, the, the paraplegic on his mat, and they come, he comes through the ceiling. And after he says, your sins are forgiven, get up and walk, everyone's amazed in Luke 5.26. And they glorified God, and they left saying, hey, we've seen strange things today. And after he heals the widow's son, after he touches the man's coffin, which was just unheard of, and he raised him to life, in Luke 7, 16, fear came upon all who were present. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. If they really believed what they said, there would have been a lot more following than just pursuing. But the response of the people when Jesus healed a woman who was bent over for 18 years, hunched over, Jesus healed her on the Sabbath, and after he put the ruler of the synagogue to shame, all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that he had done. The theme in Luke. The word praise means to speak of God's excellence. People are praising God. So let me ask you this question. What excellent things has God done for you in 2021? What excellent things has God done for you in the month of December? What excellent things do you hope that he will do for you in 2021? See, the question, 2022, you're right. I even had it written down right there and I messed it up. But see, what are ways in which God has worked in spite of your circumstances? I, I will be the first to admit to you that 2021 was by far the worst year of my entire life. And you've witnessed it with me. Pain, disappointment, and surgeries, frustration, family struggles, deaths in our beloved congregation. And yet, through it all, I can praise the excellency of our God. Because one person having a bad year one person having five bad years in a row, 18 bad years in a row, that doesn't change the fact that God is worthy of the excellency of our praise. What are we looking forward to in 2022? Will we, will we be a thankful people? Or are we going to find all the reasons to complain and gripe and grump? It's easy. If you look for all of the negative, you will find it. But if you look for reasons to be thankful, you'll find it. So while coming into Jericho, a blind beggar calls out to Jesus. He believes Jesus to be the Messiah. As he uses the title, Son of David, Jesus heals him and declares for all to hear that it was his faith that moved Jesus to heal him. Bartimaeus and all who were present broke out in worship to God due to the miracle. So our application, three simple, very, very simple points for the new year. First of all, who do you say Jesus is? This could be the year Jesus comes back. What a great thought. What a great thought. But who do you say he is? That makes all the difference in the world. Every bit. 
Because if you say Jesus is a good teacher, a great man, he's one who can, be, uh, who can have uh, all men praise him and, and thank him, but you do not come to the point where you say he is God, he is Lord, he is Savior, that Jesus will not save you. Only the God of the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible will save. Who is Jesus? Who do you say he is? If Jesus is the Son of God, who did not come to heal your body, but came to heal your soul, and you see that, and and you see that Jesus did not come to give you happiness, but that you might be holy, you have the right Jesus. Secondly, as I've already said, but I'm going to emphasize it again because it's so important. Where you go with your problems makes all the difference. Going to Jesus with your problem is no guarantee that they will get better. Trust me, I ran to Jesus with my problems in 2021 day after day after day. My problems didn't get better. I mean, they're better now than they were last January. But in many ways, they got worse, harder, more painful, more difficult. And I learned that the more I rest in the goodness of God and take my problems to Christ, the less I have to worry about fearing pain and disappointment and and just hoping for it all to be done because in his timing it will be taken care of. And if his timing for us to, not be, to be healed is not until glory, that's his timing. And we must be okay with that. That might be the thorn in our flesh to keep us reliant upon Christ. But if his timing is tomorrow, then we thank him for that. Recognizing that there will be another problem to come our way to bring our eyes back on Christ. Where you go with your problems makes all the difference. No, Jesus Christ does not promise to change your circumstances, but he does promise to change you. You need to hear that again. Jesus does not promise to change your circumstances, but he does promise to change you. The spiritual change for righteousness is what God is after, and it is far better, listen, it's far better than easy circumstances and an easy life apart from God. We must become to the point where we say, give me the hardship, give me the difficulty, and give me Christ in the midst of it. But if I have ease and comfort and know Christ, that is to be abomination to us. Not the pain. That is so foreign to American way of thinking. But we must think that way. And finally, many people pursued Jesus, but very few followed him. Today, many people are giving verbal agreement to Jesus, but very few will follow what he taught. I've told you many times, people didn't get angry with Jesus because he fed them, or because he healed them, or because he was casting out demons. People got angry with Jesus. The Pharisees sought to kill Jesus because of what he taught. 
what he said. What about you? Is 2022 going to be a year where you fill your mind with what Jesus taught and you follow it? See, we don't want people with these heads filled with knowledge and no application. You've seen those cartoons with these people, these massive heads and these little bitty legs. You don't want to be that kind of a Christian. You want to be someone whose mind is filled with God's word but who can work out the good works in their body to please and glorify God. Is this going to be a year that you dive into the promises that God has given to you in His Word? So you know God better by knowing His Word better. Or perhaps (laughs) we just want to keep playing the same surface games that we play every year, New Year's resolution. I'm going to have a resolution and, you know, lose weight, Get better, get more and fit, read more books, read less books, spend more time here, spend less time there. It's all surface. And most resolutions are done by February 15th. And so you have to look at the fact there's nothing wrong with those resolutions. Nothing wrong. If that's, if that's where you think you need to go to get yourself healthier, hey, praise the Lord, go do it. But do it for the right reasons. We do not want to be surface Christians. We must fight. We must fight. Listen very carefully. Fight your flesh. Because it wars against the Spirit of God. It wants its way in your body. The flesh doesn't want to give way to the Spirit. So we fight. The way you fight is through knowing God's Word. Too many people try to make Jesus in their own image. That Jesus will not give you any strength. And so we must be wise and we must be careful. There's only one Jesus that saves. It is that Jesus that was born of a virgin. God made flesh who grew up under the rigors of the law fulfilling every aspect on our behalf. Living the life that you had to live that we could never live who went to the cross willingly. He laid down his life. No man took it from him. Shed his blood for the remission of our sin. Died as a, the penalty was death. Died our death. Having God's wrath poured out on him on our account. And he drank every last drop. Was buried and three days later later rose again in victory. But listen, that only applies to you if you have faith in Jesus. That you recognize him as Lord, you bow the knee, you submit to him in salvation. Will you be like Bartimaeus, who in faith cried out, have mercy on me? Or will you be like the crowd, ooh, ah, show me some more. I pray 2022 is a year where we know God more by knowing his word more and we are growing more, both individually and as a body. Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you now as we close our time in your word. I ask that you would remind us how important faith is. Faith in you. Faith in your word, faith in Jesus Christ who saves.
And I know there are people here this morning who are hurting, who are struggling, losing loved ones, trying to put life back together or get back to normal. Some looking at 2022 and hoping that it is everything 2021 wasn't. But Father, would you teach us before anything else, would you teach us to have our hopes rooted on Christ? That no matter what the day or the year brings, Christ is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. He will never change. He has brought salvation and to those who will believe. And so, Father, I pray you'd work in the hearts of those who are here, those who are Christians and who have hardened their heart towards your word. I pray you would restore them. Those who are are not yet of your kingdom, that you would break their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And, Father, for those who are striving in this fight for holiness, give them a renewed passion. Let them look to Jesus. May we all look to Jesus. May we all have our minds renewed. May we have on the armor of God as we stand against the spiritual forces of darkness, knowing that the weapons you have given to us are mighty. And we can, with the word of God, through prayer, through the fellowship of the saints, we can be victorious. Give us this grace. May we have great faith and look to Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.